Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody. The podcast helps those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashpitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Emily Leahy joins the podcast this week, and Emily is a performance coach. And in this conversation, we talk about what mental energy is and four ways you can improve your mental energy. We also break down burnout, what it is, and how you can avoid it. In other news, this episode was brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So click the link in the show notes and see which products might be best for you. Then use the code EVERYBODY at checkout for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 172 of Something for Everybody with Emily Leahy. Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm pumped to have this conversation with you. Um, but before we get into all of this stuff about mental mastery and optimal performance and all of that great stuff, I have one very important question to ask you, and that is, how are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? That's a good question. I'm doing pretty well. I would say I'm really at peace in my life right now, and I'm curious to see what's happening because I just got back from living in Europe for a while. So there's always a transformative time whenever you go through a big experience and so I'm in that place of curiosity and also feeling at peace being back in the U.S. right now. Even though there's a lot of things going on in the U.S., um, it's nice to be back on home turf. Yeah, at peace. That's a that's a good answer, right? Because that's sort of the that's sort of the ultimate goal, isn't it? Like just to feel at peace with who we are and what we're doing. And so that's amazing. I mean, I imagine all of the stuff that you do for your work and your professional life has highly impacted how you go about your personal life. So that makes sense. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? <clears throat> oh, I'm feeling great. Feeling great. Uh, did jujitsu this morning. So that always makes my day better. Um, get to record a podcast in the middle of the day, which is freaking sweet. Like, come on, can't be better than that. Um, and I got baseball practice tonight with my 14 year old team. So that's always a joy. I got to bring my A game to there. If I'm not on my A game, they'll just they'll take they'll take advantage of me right away. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's good. Um, but uh, to kick off some of this conversation, uh, I think we should start with what is uh, what is mental energy? Uh, it's something you talk about a lot. It may seem sort of self-explanatory to some, but I, I think it's important to start there and define that term. Yeah. So mental energy is you know the resource that we need to create or build or express ourselves in the world or get a task completed. Um, but especially for those who that I teach and, and share these tools with, it, it's usually learning how to direct, you know, that energy of intellect in a way that's beneficial and directing it where you want it to go um, rather than it be something that can sabotage you or that can pull you in all these different directions. Hmm. Is that why you think that I also agree with you that uh, energy management is more important than time management? Yeah, I think energy management is important because time is this finite resource. So we can never get more time, right? We're limited with 
the 24 hours we have in a day, but we can always get more energy. Energy is something that we can always increase if we know how to utilize our inner resources and how to direct um, you know, our choices and the different things that are going to drain us or enhance our lives. So there's going to be a lot of different ways. We can always get more energy, um, but we can never get more time. And so I see everyone running around trying to optimize their time and they end up becoming even more scattered and then they have less energy. Um, and this is what really keeps people in this negative loop and cycle. Hmm. Yeah, because I can have like these, these big, lofty, powerful goals. But if I literally can't get myself out of bed in the morning, because I haven't optimized my energy, then I'm I'm going to get nowhere. And so like, you know, people talk a lot about sleep, which I think is great. Now that conversation has shifted towards, if you want to be someone who's elite at anything, which is the people that you work with, you also have to be elite at how you recover. So taking a nap or getting eight to seven to nine hours of sleep or, you know, taking a walk in nature, right? Revitalizes you and thinking also about your relationships, the ones that drain your energy and the ones that actually give you energy. Like those also are an important marker for how am I going to go about my day? If I know that every time I go to lunch with this person, I feel like shit afterwards, but I just keep doing it over and over and over again. And then the back half of my day is like, not as good. I need to make a decision about that. That also has to do a lot with my energy and where I see myself and my vision for my life. And so it's quite cool to see um, a uh, an emphasis on recovery, you know, because I've been an athlete my whole life uh, and that really wasn't discussed. It was always like work hard, work hard, grind, 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 work hard, work hard, grind, grind, grind. And I think obviously that stuff is important, right? But now it's sort of become like a prerequisite. If you don't work hard, none of this stuff matters. Like if you're not working hard, then you don't really need to optimize anything because you're you're not pushing the upper limits of your capacity. And so it's cool to see it sort of blend now in terms of managing your energy, having a good night's sleep, thinking about your relationships, and then rebranding all of the stuff into uh, into things that everyday people can use. Definitely. And I loved everything that you shared about if you're not working hard, you know, if you're not pushing that edge and that boundary, the rest and recovery may not be as beneficial. Um, you know, if you're just in a place where you're hiding all the time and you're mm -hmm. never finding your edge, then you're just trapped in this comfortable place and you're not going to really go to bed happy, tired. You can sleep all you want, but you're not going to really feel as expressed as you could be. Um, and then on the other hand, if you're pushing all the time um, and you're always trying to go beyond that edge, you can be very inefficient with how you're showing up in the world, you know, and, and then you start to make those choices that can be almost autopilot because you don't know how to be as present because you're losing so much mental capacity um, because you're outside the comfort zone to an extent where you just you don't have much control um, and you don't have that agency over your life that you would if you had a bit more of that harmony. So it is it's a fine line, you know, and people who dive past that boundary in their life for too long. Yes, you can eventually come back, but it takes so much reworking of your whole lifestyle. It could take years. And sometimes people never truly get out of those patterns. And they're always in a deficit of feeling um, energetically bogged down because that's their new baseline. That's what they know. So it's very interesting. We need the contrast. And some people need to go to those edges and limits to understand 
where the capacity is. But too often, I think people hide in the comfort zone or they push themselves over the edge and, and they don't really know um, what that sweet spot is. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you, it makes me think of like the, uh, the challenge skill ratio, um, you know, like, um, too much challenge, not enough skill. Uh, I'm super anxious about it. Uh, a lot of skill, not enough challenge, super easy, right? You want to find the point where you're like stretched out like a rubber band, but the rubber band doesn't snap. You're at like the, exactly what you're talking about, the capacity. And that's quite good. Do you have any, um, tips, let's say to optimize someone's mental energy? Yeah. So to optimize your mental energy, I would say one of the the biggest tools is learning how to get more um, clear about what are you working towards and what are the resources that you need to be able to achieve that on a, on a level that brings in awareness and mindfulness. Because I think too often, you know, people throw themselves at certain goals, um, but they're not actually asking like, who do I need to be to achieve this? You know, so the resources could be internal, could be states of being like, who do I need to be to achieve this goal? And so in terms of optimizing your mental energy, it could be that you need to learn how to be more patient. So it's something I just wrote about recently that you could be getting in your own way because you you don't know how to um, like wait for things and you're constantly being impulsive, right? Or another way to look at, you know, optimizing your mental energy is learning how to distill decisions. Um, so sometimes, again, kind of coming back to this impulsiveness, but sometimes people can think and over plan. So this ability to optimize mental energy using mindfulness, using holistic tools and practices um, and, and finding a way to come into a way that you're being is going to be the fastest way to get there. There's many philosophies and there's many hacks that people will, you know, say, okay, I do ice baths and I do this and I do that. And it's a great. Um, but the only thing is when we put ourselves in this constant stress response and, and we push ourselves into adrenaline, which is what most people use to try to maximize their time, maximize their energy. It can be, um, really difficult for the body to actually come into a, I would say just, you know, learning, learning how for the body to self-regulate in a new way when you've been so used to being in a stress response, like using adrenaline um, and also just chasing dopamine and, and chasing, you know, all this rush. So we, we essentially confuse that with flow state, right? We're like, oh, I feel like I'm in flow. I feel like momentum. And this is energy and we, we confuse the two, but the true source of energy is going to be, how do I stay in a relaxed state during a challenging situation? How do I increase my resiliency? And the fastest way that I've learned to do that, to be honest, is to work with getting into these different flow states um, and truly achieve shifting your, the brainwave state. Um, from being in a beta brainwave state where your mind is really active and there's not a lot of space between the thoughts. And this is when you're scrolling on Instagram. This is when you're really hard at work and you're doing something that you feel like is productive, but you're probably hitting a wall and you're moving past it. It can be when you're doing sports or it can be when you're, you know, driving a car, you know, you have to be very focused and you need to be hypervigilant. But if you're hypervigilant for too long, you're going to start to go into anxiety and depression. 
And that's just the state of the world that that becomes the baseline for a lot of people. And then they use that as a way to keep pushing versus learning how to get into these other states, these other brainwave states, such as alpha brainwave state, which people experience a lot when they're practicing something like yoga or going for a walk, maybe without music or listening to a podcast, but they're actually just present and going for a more of a mindful walk maybe with their dog, noticing how the dog sees the world, or even when people start to have children, like, oh, seeing, you know, the world through their child's eyes, they're in more of this alpha brainwave state, which is being in the present moment. And then we hit a level below that, which is theta. And we all go into this state every night when we're falling asleep. You can think of when you almost feel yourself falling asleep, but you feel like you're falling and you're just about to come into what is the theta state when you're hitting um, this aspect of your unconscious mind, but making it more available to you. So that could be dreams. And you can remember that state. There's a state that goes even deeper than that, that is uh, delta. Most people cannot recall that state. You have to be like meditating like a monk for many years mm. to even access that state on a conscious level. But even though this seems out of reach for a lot of people, it's just about training. It's about training the mind. And when you're able to move more effortlessly between these states on demand, you can maximize how you use your mental energy. So of course, like people think of meditation as, oh, it's a way to be more peaceful and more calm and more relaxed if you're stressed, but they don't always see it as a way to be more resilient or achieve a certain goal. There's actually people I talked to before diving into some of these practices thinking, well, if I do this, I'm going to get too soft. And right now I need to be aggressive and work towards this XYZ challenge that I have. So it's very interesting when people start to understand that it's, there's a science to it and there's a way to shift between these states and you can optimize from that place. Um, it moves beyond hacks and it shifts you more into a mastery. Hmm. There's a couple uh, things in that all fantastic, but there's a couple things that I want to pull on. Um, you mentioned impulse control and distractions. I think that those couple mm -hmm. things basically uh, are our world today. I mean, yeah. that's got to be one of the you know biggest deterrents to human potential right now is being able to control your impulses and how many distractions are happening. Um, and then the mind just like wanders and then we have no just focal, like all this stuff. And so what is a, you know, how do you get people to, to limit the distractions, to be able to control their impulses, to be able to focus, um, whether that be for 90 minutes or for just for a, a minute, you know, whatever the starting point may be, but, uh, anything there? Yeah. So I think a big part of understanding distractions is that there's always something underneath it. Mm -hmm. right? What are we trying to distract ourselves from? So there's always some kind of unfelt, unexperienced or evaluated emotion that's just lurking beneath the surface. And the distraction is a way to escape, right? So if we can understand, okay, what's underneath that, even if we don't know it on a conscious level, um, if you ask the right questions, you can usually get to what that blind spot is. And I think that's the benefit of working with someone is that it's all about the right questions. So when you start to distill these things down, it's like, okay, I'm distracting myself because actually I'm feeling imposter syndrome right now, or I'm distracting myself because you know what? I don't want to have this hard conversation. I'm distracting myself because 
I don't know where to start. And so I'm feeling like this level of procrastination. So there could be all these different reasons of why someone would distract themselves. And so instead of just trying to find a hack of like, hey, this is a great way to redirect, um, it might be asking a question. And it doesn't mean we're going to solve it in that moment, but it starts to give more awareness to the situation and it interrupts a pattern. And then we can move forward and say, okay, how, what, what tool right now is going to be most effective so that the mind is not circling to avoid this? How can we redirect? And for each person, it's going to be something different. Um, and I think instead of creating these like strong, rigid routines, creating a rhythm in someone's day so they have a container. And I used to be a school teacher and I realized that children and adults are very similar. And here's the thing is kids need to know what's going on in their day and they need a lot of structure, but so do adults. Thing is, again, when you have rigid routines, like a lot of people get locked into, um, again, people who usually try to optimize time, then they're blocking like this natural flow of how they could be working. And it also creates the sense of if I don't do it in this order, the day is ruined. Or if I don't do it this way, then, you know, screw, screw the rest of the day. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And then that can lead to um, just not trusting yourself. So then you go into scrolling on Instagram and you start to engage in these kind of tricky behaviors. But when you focus on rhythm and you focus on what are the best ways you work throughout the day, you can navigate around some of these, um, you know, sabotaging pitfalls of like who you are as a person. So all of it is really about knowing yourself. And when you know yourself better, you can create a different kind of structure. You can understand why you're distracting yourself. Um, but it doesn't have to be all about psychoanalysts. It's just about how do you navigate your day best, focusing on your strengths, but being aware of your weaknesses instead of just trying to, you know, move through the day using these things that might like help you for short term, but like long term, it's going to be really difficult to sustain. And that's what ends up happening to people. Like they have all these tools, but they outgrow them and then they're lost. You know, and then they're and they're looking, and then they're seeking and trying to find like the next thing on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok that's going to help them with their focus. And so that that's what I'm seeing right now is people are outgrowing certain tools, techniques, and they're feeling lost. And they're like, okay, waking up at five a.m. didn't work. What do I do now? <laughs> you know, you know, just like having my phone shut off at an hour before bed isn't necessarily making me feel more relaxed at night. So my mind's still busy. What do I do now? So there's always a next a next step or something deeper that someone can do. Yeah, it just falls into this like this sort of hacks culture that we've. Um, I mean, you've mentioned that word a few times now, and I, I think it's just like it's so uh, pertinent, and especially on social media. Like, if you do this for seven days, you're going to change your entire life and everything's going to be different. All your relationships are going to blossom and you're going to have a six figure side hustle. If you just do these three things right now. And it's like, Oh my God, really seven days. I'm magical. Everything's good. Right. It's like, like why, why are we, why are we putting that out there? One, we already have a culture of instant gratification. Instead, we should be trying to pursue the good life for the long haul. And what are the tenants that allow me to do that over the long haul while life is being unpredictable and hard and I'm getting punched in the face and death is happening and people around me getting sick. And if all I did was have hacks for the moment, 
then I'm, I'm, I'm still not able to, in a healthy manner, sort of uh, adjust to these things that are happening to me. And so um, I don't know if I have a real question, just sort of uh, anything you want to talk about in terms of hack culture, what you see on social media, how you move past it mm -hmm. as being someone who's an expert in the field and see someone who's not trying to get by with this like, you know, mumbo jumbo mm -hmm. stuff, whatever. Yeah. But coping skills, right? It's like everybody's seeking coping skills instead of going into the fire and asking, you know, what do I really need to change in my life? Moving things around or painting the walls a different color is always going to be a lot easier than reconstruction. And that's what a lot of people need to do. They need to pull things apart, break things down, dismantle structures that they've created in their life that just honestly doesn't work. You start to do that and you start to see like, well, okay, if I'm taking all these structures down, what's underneath it? And people do not usually have the skill set or the support to look at that, right? And so if you're getting into books and self-help and podcasts and all of these things, um, it can give you this sense that you're doing the work, but at the end of the day, the results are always going to speak. Like the fruits of your life, what are they? And if you're not feeling a level of fulfillment, if you're not feeling like you're really moving forward, then it is time to take a step back and ask yourself, is what I'm doing honestly working? But we live in a culture where it's all about show. It's all about, hey, this is what I'm going to project out into the world. And, and we, we have filters. We have everything that you could need to like curate your life. But behind the scenes can be a totally different viewpoint. And I think a lot of people that are putting hacks and tools out into the world, you know, it, it helped them in some way to cope and function. And they feel like they're doing the right thing. Maybe, you know, I don't, I'm not sure where they're coming from, but I can only know where I'm coming from, where I never had the luxury to really rely on hacks because at an early age, I needed to get real with myself. And so for me, I just like being as real as possible. And I'm sure there's always some level of, you know, layer I'm taking off to to be more authentic and genuine, but I do my best to be both um, positive, but at the same time, realistic about what is going to help people because I don't find it helpful to mislead or exaggerate a certain tool and say, yeah, this is gonna change your life. When I know that, you know, being an entrepreneur or trying to create or build something in the world, it's this long-term, game and there's many highs and lows and um, there's a lot to it. And so when I'm helping other people who are looking to transition, find their purpose, create a business, scale a business, um, I think what they really desire is someone who has been through it and um, can honestly say like, hey, this isn't going to be like a easy process, but it doesn't also have to take a lifetime, you know, and it, it is possible, um, but it's going to take some work and it's going to take truly using a tool and a practice. You can't go to the gym in two days and get a six pack, just like you can't meditate twice on Headspace and think that you're gonna have your mind be quiet and feel more in yourself. You know, it's okay if the mind is like spinning a little bit or, you know, just cause when you go to the gym, you're sore. Maybe you don't wanna go to the next day, <laughs> just like in meditation or learning these different holistic practices you're not gonna wanna get up and do it the next day. It takes a while for it to be part of your life. And there's so many ways that I wanted to escape myself and I had coping tools for sure, 
but I, but now as I'm older, I'm not like going out and seeking those coping tools and I have the contrast and the knowledge. And I don't think everybody can see that properly. I think some people go in saying, oh yeah, this looks like a good tool, but they can't see it and, until they have that hindsight of like, oh yeah, that was just another coping strategy. So I think there's, there's some confusion out there. I think there people are misleading people. Sometimes I think it's on purpose. Sometimes I don't think it is. Um, but we just, we live in a world where, you know, a lot of stuff is getting pumped out and now we have AI and people mm. are util utilizing GPT chat to, to put out their content. So God only knows, you know, like what is going to be being put out there even more mindlessly because people are just putting, you know, chugging things into the system and then pumping something out. Um, so I think we're living in an interesting world where people are going to need more discernment um, before just like jumping on something and, and trying out a tool because it could waste a lot of a person's time and energy to try something out. And like I said, not see that fruit in their life, not see the result that they're looking for. Yeah. Discernment is huge. I used to think like, especially with the podcast, right? You, you can't really fake authenticity over hours of episodes, hundreds of episodes, hours of conversation. If I was trying to perform for that long, like at some point I would slip up, like it's just too hard. And so I think in a long form podcast, like people can catch a vibe, like they can see, okay, this person's authentic. Yeah. Sometimes he stumbles over his words, but he has like, he's a thinking out of the box. And so maybe in the next couple episodes, he'll look back and say he wants to reframe his thoughts, but like, that's real. That's how people have conversations. And now, and then on social media, I think it's the same way. Like you can tell like, okay, this person is putting out like legit from the heart stuff. They've done the work. This makes sense. I'm going to, I'm going to fall into this, but now that's just getting so much harder. Like, like, uh, it's like someone could potentially just do a whole podcast of you and I, and we're not even there. They just took this one and then boom, boom, boom. And so I don't even know how you have that level of discernment. Cause that's like really, really hard. <laughs> you know, there's like deep fakes and all this stuff. And so I just hope that you know, because the, the most beautiful part about a human that no robot or AI can have is, is our soul, right? Is our, is our human soul. And it's like, you can't replicate that. And so hopefully people will, I don't know, I don't know if still believe in that is the right phrasing, but just like, we can still make that like, that's a, that's a thing we have, we can never let go. Like we have to see the soul of the other person and like, believe that. And, and hopefully we like get tired of all this other shit. And we just like, come back to like the human connection, the person to person stuff, like having conversations and disagreeing with each other, but still feeling some love and support regardless of that. And like all of that stuff. So I don't know. I'm a bit nervous about the whole thing, but there's much smarter people who are doing way more things than me. So I'll just have to see where it goes. Yeah, I know. I, I do hope that there's more systems and policies around AI. I, that's what I hope for. I know in Europe right now, they're putting more policies in place. Um, but we'll have to see what happens in the US. And I also wonder too, if it'll come back to doing more things in person, you mm. know, more events in person, if it gets to be um, too much. But yeah, we'll have to see like what ends up happening and how people are able to confirm that something is real or something um, is, yeah, deep fake. We'll have to see. It's going to be, it's just a really interesting time. Technology is moving so quickly. So much is emerging at once. And I know a lot of people are overwhelmed by it for sure. And mm -hmm. it's also causing um, difficulty of people focusing because there's just so much to try to keep up with. Um, and I know like Apple's coming out with 
with this like mixed reality um, technology. So there's just, it's going to be fascinating to see like how everything is going to be evolving just in the next, like, I don't know, six months, year. Yeah. 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 By tomorrow. <laughs> By tomorrow. Yeah. You never know. It's like GPT chat game is like going strong and so much is coming like every day. Something's shifting and changing. Yeah. Because like the amazing part about it all is that they're just like, they're human beings creating this stuff, like absolute incredible masters of their craft, creating beautiful things. And so you can't be mad about that. You know, it's like, but then it's like, okay, how does it impact the world? Why are they making these things? Can we slow down a little bit? And then it becomes a whole different conversation. Mm -hmm. But yeah. anyways, a little off topic, but yeah. so, well, so glad we, so glad we went it's there. It's like an off, com it's like kind of off topic, but at the same time, Here's the thing about mental energy management, everything that you're saying, a big part of mental energy management breaks down into these four categories, which is sorting stimulus, distilling decisions, intuiting innovation, and funneling focus. And so this part of sorting stimulus is so important because if we think about how much input is coming at us at once, like right now, we probably have like a, a million layers coming at us, right? And we're trying to sort. It's like, if you think about like it in papers, like you're trying to read a million papers at once, you can't in a second. So you have to decide how how is your brain going to sort this information that's coming at you? And it's coming at you in a nonverbal way and it's coming at you in a visual way and it's coming at you in an auditory way, right? We're just getting all of this at once. And so as technology um, increases, and as you know, the, there just becomes more stimulus coming at us. So one of the biggest reasons why I love doing what I do is because technology is only going to advance, but humans don't necessarily have the guarantee that we're going to evolve and catch mm. up with technology. And that is one of the biggest reasons why I do this work is because if we do not expand our mental energy and our capacity to be able to do these different things, as I mentioned, then we're going to get stuck. We're going to have this like, you know, we're already stunted in a lot of ways, which we can see like we're stunted and yet there's this opportunity to grow, but we really have to step it up with how we um, are able to move through these different brainwaves because if we're always in hypervigilant mode and we're always just like locked into our technology, but we don't know how to use it as a tool and it just becomes something that overpowers us i think that's when we get in trouble and that's people are already having a trouble with their phones right it's all it's already becoming something that can overpower people in an addictive way so yeah it's something to think about you know is is mental energy management is, is really about moving forward in a conscious way through this world so that things don't overpower you and you're able to direct your mind where you want it to go and and choose accordingly based off of as the world is changing and growing because that's not going to stop. So there's just going to be more and more that's going to be coming at you. And so if you don't keep up now, it's just going to be that much harder to keep up later. Hmm. Why, why do you think it's taken us so long as a society to realize the importance of training our mind? That's a really good question. You know, I think it's been for so long, this thing that we took for granted, like, my mind thinks and I use it in school and then I use it at work and then I use it to make decisions and I use it to communicate in my relationships. But when 
technology started to grow, I think we started to realize how fast, you know, information could be shared and how quickly our minds could be overwhelmed and overstimulated by things. So I really do think technology brought forward this like realization of maybe I'm not as in control of my mind as I thought, because before, I mean, I know I was growing up when technology was just starting to boom and we had AOL and, you know, we, I, I had my flip phone, had my like Nokia. So, I mean, I don't know what it's like to grow up as a Gen Z where, you know, you're just immersed in it all the time. And mm -hmm. that was just your life. And then the boomers, you know, they didn't have it at all. And, and I think they have a different relationship with technology, but being a millennial, you know, I think it's, it's interesting to have the contrast of both worlds, but as children are being born, they're just immersed into it. It's just their world. Um, so I think we're living in an interesting time being between worlds and knowing what it was like to not have to be tethered to your technology all the time and moving into a world where it's like, it's just going to be so enmeshed um, even more than now. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think about like the, the training of the mind often. And I, I think it, I think it like relates to the stigma that's attached to mental health because like for a long time, people assumed mental health. Okay. That means you're anxious, depressed, sad, you're schizophrenic or you're crazy. Right. But really mental health is just the same thing as your mindset. It's just how you think, feel and act. And I think, so finally that's being like extrapolated from the two things like, yeah, mental health can be mental health conditions, which are totally different than your everyday mental health, which all of us have. And then it needs like a sexy reframe to, to market it better, right? Because that's the only way people are going to buy into it because there is always going to be this thing about mental health that like, I don't want to be seen as the crazy person, even though it's not that. But if we can do it in a way what you're talking about, or like a mental fitness or a mental wellness or uh, mental strength, like all the same stuff, but it just sounds more sexy and something that I actually think that I can train like my body or my craft or whatever I'm into. And so I think um, we're leading or we're moving in that direction. At least that's where I think we should go to get more people to, to buy into the fact that I can train my optimism. I can train to be calm in pressure situations. I can train my mind to control my thoughts or my emotions or my impulses and be more focused. Not that I'm perfect. That's not possible for anyone, but I can become better at it and it's possible to train it. I'm not just born like this and nothing can change. I can change my body. I can get better at my job, but my mind is this forever. That's not true. And I think it's finally moving in that direction, but it definitely uh, someone who's really good at marketing could make it more sexy and rebranded. And I think we will be moving in the right direction. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think it's definitely a big piece of it when it comes to COVID and what COVID brought up as well. So I think you're right. It's like one would be the technology and the addiction to it of like, okay, wow, I'm not really in control of my mind and people wanting to be more in power, more in control. And then two, it is the stigma starting to release around mental wellness and mental health. And like you said, it, it's not, a, oh, like I had all this trauma from my childhood and I'm going through this specific addiction or my life is falling apart. It can be I know that I have more potential and I want to experience what's on the other side of that. And it can be based off of curiosity. And maybe that's a luxury that mm. 
you know, we, I don't know, but it's like, maybe that's not, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a luxury because it's not, it's actually something that I think is a standard, you know, should be a standard, but maybe like the boomers thought that was a luxury to be able to, you know, gaze at your own navel and, and, and contemplate life and reflect on mm. things. And, you know, I think so many, um, you know, of the generation that came before were just so focused on, you know, having families and working and, you know, going through the motions and yeah, I think COVID for a lot of people and many generations had people pause and really self-reflect on what do you do when you, there's nothing to do. Like, what do you do when there's, when you're living in uncertain times? And so I definitely feel like that was a piece and even coming onto Twitter. I mean, I was teaching about burnout for years. Like I was living in San Francisco. I started talking about burnout 2016. I was doing talks all all around the city about burnout. And I was just explaining what burnout was. Nobody understood it. I was explaining who coined it. I was explaining what, what symptoms you might have. I did not need to truly explain burnout during COVID. People already knew what burnout was. Now it was about redefining how to look at burnout. Now it was about okay, how do we examine burnout from a different lens? I would not be able to explain how I explained burnout after COVID, before COVID. Um, and now people are saying, okay, now that I know what burnout is and I know all these symptoms, I know how to reframe what burnout is, what do I do with it? Because I don't know how to truly move forward without just going back into my old ways of resting, pushing, resting, pushing, and just in this inertia. So I think it's really fascinating. Um, I think that's another reason why people are looking at mental health is because they get stuck in these loops and these patterns and they want to perform better. Like I said, they want to experience more of their potential. They want to achieve something that seems almost impossible or out of reach. Um, but how do you do that? And the only real way, once you start to break it down, is like, okay, my mind has something to do with this. My mind is is both an instrument, but it's also something that blocks me. And so I think that's what I've been noticing over the years. Hmm. Yeah, I had a, a guest on this podcast named Lauren Johnson, and she's a mental performance coach. And she said this quote I thought was very interesting, that your mindset is not everything, but it impacts everything. I was like, well, that's very true because there's a bunch of areas in your life you need to focus on. And your mindset will impact all of those things. And so I think that's that's a kind of a, like grasping the this, this sort of the full capacity of a human being. But speaking about burnout, um, what are some of those tools? How did you redefine it? Um, what, are, what are you working with people now so that when they experience burnout and they come back to whatever they're doing, they feel more energized, let's say? Yeah, that's a good question. So I actually shared something on Twitter um, that spread like wildfire. Uh, when I had just moved to Portugal, I was like sitting in this cafe and I was thinking, okay, I'm supposed to share something on Twitter right now. I had been pretty consistent, not a huge following, like only maybe like 2000 followers or something like that. But I shifted from Clubhouse to Twitter um, and, and started getting more consistent with tweeting. And um, I had this tweet go viral that I shared just like, oh, I hope this helps one person kind of moment. Um, the sneaky thing about burnout is that you push through today. I'm oh, sorry. The sneaky thing about burnout is you borrow from tomorrow to push through today. That mm -hmm. was the tweet that I shared. And so many people started to understand energy management from that tweet. I was like, if anything could have, you know, gone viral, I'm glad it was this tweet. 
because so many people did not understand energy management or burnout up until that moment on a deeper level. And I was getting so many retweets and so many shares and so many people messaging me like, I get it. I get it. I feel like I need to pause and think about my actions and how I'm pushing beyond that threshold every day because I feel like I'm perpetually exhausted. Hmm. And that is the thing is we think, oh, if I just do five more things on my list that tomorrow I'll get ahead and it's not really how it works. It's usually like a clean up an aisle five situation. You're already exhausted. You, <laughs> you push yourself more and it's like you did not get ahead. Like you just like were, you know, delirious, like trying to write this email and it has like all these spelling mistakes or, you know, there were nights I like would send out these newsletters and I had yeah so many spelling mistakes and it's not really what I wanted to say. And it's not about being perfect, but it's, you know, being efficient and, and really truly putting your best foot forward means that sometimes you need to wait. Sometimes you just need to pull back a little bit. It's like this bow and arrow effect. Like sometimes you just need to pull the arrow back and you'll shoot forward more than if you just stay in this place of constantly in this, yeah, under functioning, you know, highly ambitious, but under functioning space. And so how people truly start to heal from burnout isn't just taking breaks. I actually don't think it's about taking the break or resting. That's not how you heal burnout. Burnout is knowing and understanding and having the awareness of how much battery life do you have when you wake up today? Because if you have 20% battery life and you gave 20%, that's 100%. Versus you wake up at 20% battery and that's your capacity today and you try to give 100, you're in deficit. So it's understanding where are you at that day and what can you achieve because we're not robots. We can't wake up every day and necessarily give the same energy to each day. Um, and starting to understand like also what are the apps happening in the background, meaning what are the things that you may not be aware of that's draining you and starting to ask deeper questions and becoming more aware of, you know, is it a relationship like you shared earlier? Like, oh, every time I talk to this person, they're draining my energy. Well, you know, if you're doing, if you have a hard day at work and then the, the free blocks that you have, you're choosing to have unfulfilling relationships, you're not going to really get out of burnout. Even if you go away for that weekend and you come back, you're going to come back to the same life. You're going to perpetually be in the same situation. And so burnout is just really, how do we navigate using our energy? There's going to be things that give and take. And, you know, it's funny too, because there's things out there right now that are like, oh, if something's draining, you need to cut it off. And I think like a mom made a joke like, yeah, I should just, you know, ship my kids somewhere else because sometimes they drain me. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you you have responsibilities and there's going to be challenged and there's going to be things that are not always going to be giving you life. And that could be children or could even be your dream job. You know, it doesn't mean you just leave your job and, and go travel for the world, you know, travel the world for a year. It's not necessarily the answer. It's just more, how can you see what's going on more clearly and decide how are you going to show up for that day and what can you give? And so, yeah, if you're, if you're a parent, maybe you put a TV show on for an hour and you do what you need to do to like regroup yourself and you're not trying to be like, you know, the best parent in the world every day and, and try to go hundred percent. Like sometimes you have to give yourself some slack, you know, and, and for people or parents, for people who don't have kids, it could be that maybe you need a nap in the middle of the day and you're just tired. And yes, you could be sending out 20 emails in that hour, but you might just be staring at your screen 
you know, and if you take that nap, you wake up and then you can, you know, be able to get back to work and maybe be more efficient. So burnout really is, isn't always about taking a break. It's more about taking a step back. It's about a reframe. Um, but it is not about like taking the weekend off and then going harder. It's a complete lifestyle shift. And um, we talked about that earlier, but I think practical things that people can do when they're burning out is really starting to reflect on, you know, just creating like a T-chart and look at, you know, as, as simple as it sounds, what are the activities that you can do when you're feeling drained? whether that's like taking a bath or, you know, doing some self-care activities that you can list that you can do to, to recharge. And then what are the activities that are really taking you from, from right now? So there could be um, different aspects of your job that you would like to talk to your boss about um, that you're not a good fit for, no matter how much you try. It's really just it's not even challenging enough. You can be burnt out because you're not challenged enough. It could be that there needs there needs to be something that you um, delegate to somebody else because it's taking so much brain power and you would be more recharged by doing another activity or another, um, I hope that makes sense, but you know, doing something else in terms of your, your job. So there's a lot of different things I could list, um, but it really comes down to self-examining where your attention, where your mind is going, and then how you're utilizing your battery power each day. Um, so it takes a lot of awareness versus it just being about escaping, right? Comes back yes. to the same piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think you you framed it perfectly, right? Because what I think the, the biggest misconception about burnout is that the the cause of burnout is always work overload. That's it. So I just need to, and you said it, right? It's like, I'll just leave. And when I come back, everything will be good. But you're you're coming back into the exact same environment. Literally nothing has changed. You just took seven days off to go to Bali and you feel recharged-ish. But then, yeah, you might have a week of good work or two weeks or six months or even a year, but you're still going to experience that burnout once again. And and so I think people need to understand, like you're talking about, like what what are the other causes of potential burnout, right? It could be insufficient reward. It could be a values conflict. You could be not challenged enough, all these things that you talked about. Um, and then you're trying to figure out that root cause, not just it's always work overload, break, come back. Like I'm trying to either change myself or change the situation or change my view of the situation, right? Exactly what you're talking about, you know, having a self-examination, figuring out what's what the root cause of it is, and then actually curing and reversing the burnout, because that's possible. You can cure and reverse the burnout. And then if you actually um, like live your life with uh, some of these other tenants we've been talking about, then you can proof for burnout as well, because you have your energy management and you have your sleep done and you have good relationships and all of these things, your positive psychology basics proof you for burnout. So you can expand your window of tolerance, which I think is also uh, important in that regard. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I liked how you put in terms of looking at your values, you know, looking at what is, what is it that you're fighting for? Something I actually shared on Instagram recently is every job is going to have its own challenges. In Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, she actually talked about this and um, she put it as like, everything is going to have this aspect of work that you're going to come up against and you're not going to like 
So if you're constantly seeking this like perfect situation, this perfect job, it's not going to happen. So I used to be a school teacher and I realized I was getting burnt out, you know, I was working long hours. I was like, well, maybe when I'm my own boss, it'll be so much better. And I realized as, as much as I love teaching kids, as much as I loved um, having a passion, I experienced a lot of passion fatigue and mm. I had to look at myself. And I mean, at the core of it, I'm going to just like kind of give it away here. The core of burnout is always a worthiness issue. And so although it's like a value system issue, if you if you are connected to your values and you are doing passionate work and you're still burnt out, it's a worthiness issue. I just thought I had to work really hard to prove myself. And it wasn't so much that I didn't enjoy what I was doing, but I didn't feel enough. And so that just followed me in every situation until I finally figured it out. And I was like, oh. And so when I'm mentoring startup founders and people who have businesses, they start to realize the same thing. Like they just feel like they have to work really hard. They have to prove themselves. And um, it can constantly be a draining aspect of their life. That's this blind spot. And when they start to shift that and they start to treat themselves differently and not identify with their business as much, that's another big piece. So I'm sure a lot of people can connect with that. Like when you, you know, trying to, trying to shift worth is, is a long game, but when you start to see how you treat yourself and the way you talk to yourself and also how you structure your day and the things that you allow and don't allow, um, it can, it can make those changes into how you experience your internal battery and you, and you will feel more energized over time. Do you feel that um, entrepreneurs, founders, um, people who do that work that you you closely work with, mm -hmm. do you think that they have foreclosed on their identity and they only think of themselves as that person and nothing outside of that? Some people and other people do try to be aware and um, create boundaries around work and personal life. But I would say that it's still tricky Like when you are needing to go all in, especially founders who take VC money there's more pressure um, mm. or, you know, they have an investors, like angel investors even, or friends and family around. And you have people that are, you know, waiting for you to succeed, but then probably on the other hand, waiting for you to fail. Um, there's, there's just going to be like a certain level of um, this desire to prove, you know, even if you feel like, okay, I'm not my business and I, and I have these relationships and I'm, I have this fulfillment, these different aspects of my life. But anytime you're trying to prove yourself, um, you're already in a deficit. You're already starting to mm -hmm. abandon who you are because you are now putting so much weight on achieving this thing. And so as cliche as it is, it is about the journey. It's about seeing entrepreneurship as this is going to be one of the best paths to know yourself. And you're going to have to face yourself over and over and over and over and over again and mm -hmm. see like, where am I stopping myself from letting this business be what it needs to be rather than what I want it to be and, and trying to always control it. So it's about looking at the controllables and the uncontrollables. And when you are so identified with proving yourself, you're very attached to a certain outcome, a certain way you need to get there, a certain way things need to be. Um, and you start to abandon yourself along the way because 
you may have to do certain things and you have certain needs and you have certain responsibilities and relationships and those things just get put to the wayside so you can achieve that goal and so that's what i see for people and it's it creates the burnout because if you're not carrying yourself with you along the way to create what you're creating um you won't sustain you won't have the sustainable energy source hmm. yeah i i can only correlate that to to an athlete right it's like they see the foreclosure of their identity. I am an athlete. And for a long time for them, it's a competitive advantage like you're talking about, right? For some entrepreneurs and, and people like that who are striving to literally change the world probably with their business or be great. Like, yeah, this is a competitive advantage for me because I can know that this is my outcome. I'm chasing this outcome and I can work 16 hours a day because I'm sprinting and sprinting and sprinting. But like you're saying, at some point, the sustainability and the durability can, you can't, it can't last. And it, and um, a lot of people just end up leaving the sport or, you know, not be not reaching the best potential they possibly could have if they decided to integrate some of these other aspects in a more healthy way without losing that fire, that competitive nature, because you can still have that. And we I don't want to lose that, that drive. But I also want to be able to have the drive to uh, recover as well, or be a brother or a son or a husband or a friend. That's also part of my identity as well. And and I can do sort of both of these things while still trying to at some point, um, you know, be elite at this thing and not having, I don't know if you like the word balance. I don't really like it, but you've mentioned harmony a few times. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, that's the perfect word. Yeah. I don't strive for balance word. at all. I don't think it exists. It's yeah. balance. What are we balancing? Like everybody, Everybody has their own way of going about this, but I think different aspects of our life just hold different weights at different times. You can't have mm. everything you want all at once. Just it's really not possible. You can plant seeds and things can grow, but if you're working on your business, it can be really difficult to, you know, put as much time into maybe personal relationships or hobbies or creative outlets. Like you, you just have to put that focus more in one place, but it doesn't mean you can't have other things going on in your life, but there's just a certain harmony to make sure that you're feeling fulfilled and that you're able to express yourself in certain ways. And, and, you know, same thing with, you know, someone who might be taking a step back as they've been burnt out. It's like, you may not be perfectly balanced with work and rest right now because your body is just in a recovery mode. You know, you put yourself through the fire and you went over the edge and you have to take a step back. So, you know, the harmony is working on yourself right now before you put your next foot forward into what you want to do. And a lot of startup founders go through this, you know, they, they even sell their companies, um, gets acquired and they don't know what they're going to do next. And some of them just kind of are always seeking the next thing to build. But the important thing is to find the harmony within yourself. It doesn't have to look a certain way. It doesn't have to be quote unquote balanced like we're talking about. And um, yeah, and I think what you're talking about as well with um, comparing being an athlete to business, while it is very similar, the thing that I find most interesting that is different is that there are rules to a game in sports, but mm. there are no rules to business, really, mm. if you think about it. And it's important to look at peak performance in an athlete, but in business, it's more about optimal performance because 
peak performance in a game, like you play a game and then you might not have to play a game for like another week. When you're in business, right. you have to wake up every day. Um, so there's there are some similarities and then there are some differences. And I think when we try to apply too much sports performance work to business, I think it confuses people. Hmm. You know, we get really inspired by athletes, but being in business, um, it is there there are some differences and that's just what I've noticed because there's so many people who are in sports and then shift into business coaching. Right. Um, but I, I would just say being an entrepreneur for 13 years and building all these different things, I'm like, oh, wow, I love sports. And um, I grew up in Boston, so I come from a sports family and I played a lot of sports and I am very active. And so I love the idea of being in my body and using some of, some of that as a way to kinesthetically experience philosophy, right? Rather than just be something that sits in my head or just be an armchair philosopher, take this information that I experience when I'm running or I'm lifting or I'm doing these different things and, and apply it to my business and see, okay, where am I today in my business um, on a physical level, on a mental level, just as if I was working out. But yeah, there's just so many similarities and differences. And so when it comes to performance work, I think it's, it's important to see that it's, um, it's key. It's key to push yourself and go to that edge and to try to do that every day. Um, but so many people don't know where their limit is. And I would say if we could see physicality, you know, of sports, like if you push yourself over the edge, you get hurt, but we don't always see that in our day-to-day -day life that we're actually mm. hurting ourselves because it doesn't show up maybe in a physical way. It shows yeah. up more in like a mental way or an emotional way, but it's so easy to override when we're distracting ourselves. So yeah, those are just some similarities and differences that I've started to take note of over the years. Yeah, those are great. Not not something that I've uh, I've really thought about just coming from a, a sports guy over here. So great. Uh, but I have one last question for you to put you on the spot. Um, this question is taken from my favorite podcaster, Tim mm -hmm. Ferriss. So uh, I cannot take credit for this question. So you may have heard it if you ever listened to his podcast. But uh, Emily, if you were going to put up a billboard, let's say you're going to put the billboard up in Boston right next to Fenway Park. What would you put on that billboard? Mm. You know what? There's a, a favorite quote um, that I have, and I will be really bad at paraphrasing it right now. But essentially, <laughs> it's it's saying that there's some people that are dreamers and there's some people that are doers. And when you can bring these two pieces together, um, that's like where the real magic is. And so this idea of, you know, being in your magic and being in your practicality and being on both ends of the spectrum and bringing them together is truly, I think, what performance and making your life the best possible experience you could have and building and creating from that space. Um, so yeah, that's really like something around those lines is what I would put on the billboard because I feel like people get lost in one or the other, but they forget to bring them together. Mm, beautiful. Perfect way to end. Um, well, thank you, Emily, for your time, your expertise and your wisdom. I appreciate, um, this conversation very much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Anytime. See you guys later. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Emily Leahy. What was your biggest takeaway from that episode? What idea resonated with you most deeply 
that you can implement that idea into your life today. And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And please don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Aaron Mashvitz directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes and see which tier might work best for you. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and each other. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.